This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Uh, it does, I have to say. Um, I mean, look, we don't want to lose football matches. We don't like losing football matches. Um, but I've got to give enormous credit to the team. They, um, right the way through the game, um, created problems with the ball. We defended resiliently. Um, two moments in the game. Uh, of course, at the end, they were going to have some counter-attack opportunities. Um, but we recovered well on those. Uh, one good save from Jordan, but um, I, I thought we were excellent and um, I really couldn't have enough praise for all of the players. Off the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. England boss Gareth Southgate speaking after Belgium uh, defeated England 2-0 to make it to next summer's Nations League finals. It's Monday evening, it's me Ross and joining me to talk international football we've got Craig Marias. Hello Craig. Hello mate, how are you? Yeah, nice to see you on a Monday. Awake as well. Oh. <laughs> Early as well. <laughs> Kishnan's also here. Hello Kish. Hi Ross, I'm, I'm a bit surprised you didn't get the other Craig given uh, you know Scotland's uh, Achievements the, the, uh, the last unbelievably, few days. unbelievably, <laughs> the other Craig said he had to work. I, I did. Try oh, wow! To, I did. Uh, try I thought he got the email address wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Keish speaks to us from Ipo today or this evening, and and joining us for first time for a very long time, Andy Whitelaw. Hello, Andy. Yeah, good to see you, boys, from sunny Kuala Lumpur, which we're all yeah. in our separate yeah. places around the city. Lovely stuff. Absolutely, Andy's all about. Arsenal, MMA, and, and diapers these days. <laughs> you can, not his. <laughs> no, well, you never know. Weekend, he does like it. Um, <laughs> tweet at BFM Radio. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, we also have a YouTube channel up and running. Do subscribe to TFIF on video. Right, we're all still a little bit sleepy. This, this Monday evening because most of us stayed up to watch Belgium 2, England 0. It was Group A 2, so England's hopes of qualifying for next summer's Nations League finals ended by that defeat. It was kind of comprehensive as well, Craig. And um, let's talk about England first. Why do England keep falling at the final hurdle, especially against the big boys. We, we see England bully minnows and even uh, mid-sized mid nations. But when it comes to the big boys, they almost always fall at the last hurdle. Why is that, Craig? Yeah, I mean, uh, if we're looking at this, it, it, it's one of the few things. Um, you've got to remember the amount of your know, first-team England players that didn't feature in this match. Um, I mean, we look at, you know, the, the, the right-back situation, there's no trend. Look in the middle, um, the heart of defence. Um, and, uh, you know, there's no Harry Maguire. Um, Michael Keane is arguably, you know, the, the, the strongest centre-back that plays alongside him. Um, and, and, you know, you've got Joe Gomez out, so there's a lot of injuries there. Um, you end up playing Carl Walker as a centre-back, which he has done, uh, which he did during the World Cup uh, very successfully. But he's not an actual centre back, I and mean, he adds a lot of pace to it. But um, as we saw with the first goal, you know, it was the centre backs. I think it was Eric Dyer giving the ball away um, in a ridiculous area, and and um, Belgium capitalising on that. Um, and then you look at you know further upfield. Obviously, there's no um, there's no Rashford, there's no Sterling. 
I mean, you, you're talking about quality players here. You know, you're talking about players that play at the highest level. They're, you know, Premier League winners, European champions. I mean, you're talking about real world-class talent up there. So I think, you know, with everything, I mean, it's like Belgium, you know, if they didn't have Lukaku, if they didn't have Kevin De Bruyne, you know, and, you know, Alder Bellworld at the back, you know, you know, they, I'm thinking they're going to struggle. Okay. Um, so, I mean, if we're focusing on that result uh, last night, then, then, you know, those, those would be the reasons. Mm. Um, I, I still, um, you know, we were just having a chat off show, you know, I, I still don't think Southgate knows his strongest 11. Mm. Now, um, you know, that that is always a problem. And I, I, can, I can kind of understand, you know, coming from the World Cup to now, uh, it's been a couple of years now, um, and players chop and change. You know, you, you pick players based on form, their new talents emerging through, um, which, you know, two years ago, they, they probably weren't, you know, playing first, first team football. Um, so you're going to factor all that in. And, you know, when you look at the, the caps that some of those players have uh, that have emerged, um, you know, in those two years, you're looking at your Mason Mounts, you're looking at your Dominic Calvert-Lewins, uh, Jack Grealish, Declan Rice. I mean, Ben Chilwell even, you know, they don't have a lot of caps to their name. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you think about that international experience, international exposure, uh, which is another factor. And, and I think using these games, <clears throat> sorry, um, you know, you don't have that many friendlies these days. So the Nations League is the only chance to, to blend them in and get them ready for those big tournaments, the Euros uh, in particular next summer. Okay, right. We'll come back to, to England in, in a sec. Andy, I'm going to come to you. But first, let, let, let's talk up a little Belgium a little bit, Quiche. Um, yet again, Roberto Martinez pulls one out of the hat. True, he's got world-class players to, to select from. But his record is pretty good at international level. My question to you, Quiche, is, is Roberto Martinez capable of winning a major tournament with this Belgium side? See, that's, that's always the question that it comes back to, especially in the context of Belgium and, and Roberto Martinez, because he was obviously hired knowing that the, the, the country has a wealth of these generational talents at their disposal. And it's about finding the right, you know, uh, you could say the right tune for them to then go on and do well at a major tournament. And to be fair, they were in the semifinals of the World Cup in 2018. Um, it's Euros they would have been one of the strongest favourites heading into the Euros had it taken place this year as well. And, and now that it's taking place next year, I still think, having watched France, I mean, Ross, having watched France the last couple of games, mm. I know they beat Portugal and I know France uh, uh, have the wealth of talent, but but having watched them the last couple of games, I don't think that they're an invincible side. And when you look at what Belgium can offer, especially yeah. against a team like England, yeah. and you look at the players that, that's available at, at Roberto Martinez's disposal, I think they have more than enough to challenge at a big tournament. The question mark always comes back to, is Martinez level-headed enough to be able to accomplish it? Because during his stint at Everton, we've seen him overthink big games. We've seen him go into big games and... and, and, and he, he's, a, he's a tactical enthusiast. We've seen him go into big games and chop and change his methods. And the question marks is, he has, he has, I think he has found the stability with his Belgium national team, but it all boils down to whether he can carry that stability into big games at a major tournament. Judging by big games at tournaments like the Nations League, it appears that he can. Yeah. Against teams like England, he's doing it. So, yeah. it, I mean, we, we can talk as much as we want, but it, under the pressure of the Euros next year, uh, the ball game will be completely different and, 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 and we'll see. Yeah. Listening to, to Keish Wax lyrical about Roberto Martinez there, Andy, do you feel 
what which one of those qualities do you think Gareth Southgate has, or do you think Gareth Southgate's the polar opposite of Roberto Martinez? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? There's parallels between the two because there were so many doubts when Roberto Martinez got the Belgium job because, yeah, we saw him come up at Wigan where he impressed at that level. Great going forward, real question marks over how he could set up a defence. Then when he got that step up at Everton, really, he didn't really do it. So for him to get the Belgium job in the first place was a, a surprise. Southgate getting the England job was a bit of a surprise. At club level, he was a really average manager. Then he did good things like in England setup. So both of them, in many ways, proved themselves that they were cut out to be international managers. Now, at least with Martinez, you look at what he's done since he's taken charge of Belgium. 39 wins in 50, losing just four, drawing seven. Now, those question marks for me at this stage, not totally, but more or less, they've been answered. Like, Belgium looked very good defensively. It helps when you got Vertong and Alderweireld and Courtois and goal. I mean, these are absolute quality. That it's he's the same with spine all the way play. through most of the time oh. as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're so consistent. It's so easy almost for him to... His first 11 can just walk out onto the pitch. They know more or less who the first 11 is going to be. They know exactly what they're doing. They've played together for years, most of them in the Premier League. Whereas Southgate, I'm sorry, but Eric Dyer playing at the back. Eric Dyer is, is not a great player playing in his preferred position, let alone <laughs> at centre-back. I mean, earlier, I think Craig mentioned uh, Keane as, yeah. as one of the best players to come in there. Keane, are we... Are we serious, boys? Like taking on the number one side in the world. We're, who who we're do you think? Keen. Who do you think the central defensive partnership should be? Well, look in, in in a perfect world, I really think Gomez has got got to be in there. But he's we all know yeah, what happened yeah, to him yeah. recently, and it's not not good for Liverpool. Man United fans can tell you all you want about Maguire. Now I know I know he looks good when he rolls his sleeves up and he's committed and he loves a header. Is he a world class defender? Should he be anything like worth eighty million pounds? I think even the most romantic Man United fans have got to say no. Mm. He's not really good enough to keep clean sheets against the top sides in the world. So centre-back is the biggest problem for England because the full-backs are better than they've ever been. The options at full-back and wing-back for England are absolutely sensational. And, and only on the right. The players are mostly young. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Look at his potential. Yeah, but, but he's Andy. not a wing-back, is he? <laughs> Uh, he's well, never going to be a world-class wing-back. No, but, he's but, not but, a great defender. He was man of the match the other day. Keish, not a great defender. Yeah, I want to. I want to bring up Eric Dyer. I think this is really interesting because to me, Eric Dyer under Jose Mourinho looks a complete different player at Spurs. I think at the heart of that central defence, he has improved tremendously. He yeah. spoke about. He spoke about the fact that when Mourinho arrived at the club, one of the first few conversations he had was with Jose telling him that, look, you can't keep playing me in the, in the heart of the midfield. And it was in Portuguese as well, wasn't it? Yeah, he, he had that conversation <laughs> in Portuguese. And, and Mourinho agreed. Mourinho gave him a shot at the back and he looked much improved. And now he's, 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 he's the, one of the first few names on the, on the Jose Mourinho starting 11. But... I think, I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying that he's playing perfectly for England at the moment, but there is a problem with his performances for England. And I don't think it's down to how good of a centre-back or how bad of a centre-back he is. Because when you juxtapose his performances for England and you compare it to the level he's been playing for Spurs under Jose Mourinho in the last seven, eight months or so, I think there's a, there's a gulf in quality there. And I so don't what, think what do you, what do you think? So what do you think is England's problem then, Keish? Why do they keep so falling? I, 
so uh, I don't know if it's the system at the back. I don't know if it's if it's the partnerships at the back that are just not gelling at the moment. Um, I I don't think England's central defensive options are as bad as people make it out to be. I think with the quality that's there, if you find the right partnership, the right systems, the players can gel and form a decent partnership. We're not expecting a world-class Fabio Cannavaro, you know, Italian Maldini, uh, Nestle partnership here. We're talking about a partnership that's decent enough to carry in England at international competitions. And do I think they have enough quality to be able to form a partnership like that? I, I, I definitely think so. I know, I know you are playing. Yeah. Week you're going to mention Connor Cody in a second. <laughs> <laughs> completely caught me there, Ross. I mean, if it's a back three, if it's a back three, it's a complete no-brainer to have Connor Cody yeah. at the heart of that yeah. defense. Yeah. If it's a back three, I, I don't think you can play him in a back two and, and make him look good. I think if it's a back three, you have Connor Cody at the heart of that defense because he gives you that presence, that warrior-like presence, and he can bring, bring the ball uh, upwards because... In the Premier League, in terms of progressive build-ups, in terms of progressive passes, he's one of the best from the centre-back position. Brings the ball forward. And if England want to play out from the back, you need someone like that if you're playing a back three. So, I think there are options. I just think it's a matter of finding the right one. And again, this goes back to the whole discussion. Why hasn't Southgate been able to, you know, sort of find his preferred uh, starting eleven at the moment? Because he's chopping and changing in every game. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah I, I, I'm just going to go on that. Sorry, I, I'm just going to go on that and say... I don't think this England team is built, um, you know, to to, to to defend. I think that the quality that they have going forward, I think that's where Southgate sees um, England winning their games. I mean, they're not going to build a defence and, and just say, all right, we're, we're good enough to sit back. I mean, w when you have, a you know, an attack with the quality of Rashford, Sterling, uh, Grealish, Kane, you know, all, all these talented players, Sancho, we haven't even mentioned him. Yeah. Um, you know, when you have all these, this quality going forward, you're going to get goals. You have to get goals. And I think that's where most of the responsibility will lie. Um, I agree with Andy. Yes, not, not fantastic partnerships at the back. But I don't think you need to have, you know, your, your kind of barrows and nesters and, and things like that. I think the game has, has kind of evolved these days um, where, you know, you don't really see teams built on defences anymore. You know, it's about going forward, moving forward, how well you can do. You know, you don't get those those one nils. Um, but saying that, you know, when, when, when you go into le latter stages of competitions, you know, that could be crucial. But um, I think if a fully fit England squad, I mean, any, like I said, you know, I'll go back to the point I made earlier. Any team that has, you know, seven players out or, or whatever it was out of your first 11, we're not even talking about squad players. We're talking about first 11 players here. Mm. Chilwell goes off injured yesterday as well. Um, if you have seven regulars out and, you know, you're bringing people in who don't even have 20 caps to their name, some not even 10 uh, to their name, I mean, it's going to make a difference. I, I don't care who you are. You could be Brazil. You could be Spain, Germany. It's going to make a difference. Um, and, we, and we talked about it on the show on Friday. You know, the Germans bringing these newer players through. They're taking time to get adjusted on, on the international stage. Um, so it's... It's just one of those things where you've got to use the Nations League because there are no friendlies anymore or, yeah. or lack of friendlies um, to, to blend these boys in. All right. Well, England finish. Well, they don't finish. Just one more game to go. But they're currently third in Group A to Belgium. Top the group and they make it through Denmark currently in second. 
We're off for our first break. Uh, stick with us. More Nations League coming up right after this. So their season off and running with a goal inside eight minutes. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Five yards out, unchallenged, unmarked, makes absolutely no mistake. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, Craig Marias, Kishnan and Andy Whitelaw joining us this Monday evening to, to look back at the weekend's Nations League. Um, we talked about the English. Um, now let's, let's move on and talk about the Dutch. They, they're pretty much like England. They're, they're rebuilding, if you like. It's a new breed of Dutch players coming through. It's a new manager in charge as well. Uh, they defeated Bosnia 3-1. Uh, they're in Group A1 along with Italy. It's neck and neck in Group A1. Poland, Italy and the Netherlands all stand a chance of, of going through. Uh, this midweek, it was a 3-1 win against Bosnia with Liverpool midfielder Jorginho Wijnaldum taking the captain's armband and scoring twice. Very impressive, Andy Whitelaw. What do you make of the Dutch? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? The fact that they've got De Boer in charge because he's another one who's just never done it at club level. It was decent enough for Ajax, but, but perhaps any of us could have won the league with the Ajax team. <laughs> he's come to the helm at Netherlands and it's taken him five matches to get his first victory on the board. To be fair, you know, there's no shame in drawing against Italy and Spain. But it's funny the way they scored those goals. It was almost like he's been playing FIFA. Get the ball out wide, get to the byline, cross it in. Your forward gets a tap in or your player running from deep. And the interesting thing is, when Vinaldum was rumoured to go to Barcelona from Liverpool, a lot of fans were complaining, saying, you know, why Barcelona signing a guy who doesn't assist and doesn't score goals? But if you saw Vinaldum and he played at PSV as a number 10, he was such an exciting player, scored plenty of goals, and he was a real leader as well. Such a creator. I mean, I've, as, as a rival fan, been so impressed with his entire Liverpool career because he's so good on the ball, he's so tidy. And if you hear him talk about this brace that he just got, he said, well, you know, usually it's not my responsibility, but here I was given the number 10 role. All I was doing was doing my job, which is kind of the humble response you expect from him. But he was just superb with that timing of runs. I mean, there's so many players have done it in the past, like Lampard and Jungberg, and a lot of players in the Premier League, if we look, who are missing that kind of player to make that run. But the fact that he's got that in his locker, that he can do either of those roles so well, you have to be impressed by it. And the lad Dumfries playing at full back, just bombing forward, getting those cross mm, in the box. Mm these new players that you, you talk about coming through for the Dutch. I mean, that's what we associate with them down the years. And they haven't had a great period, really. Like the spell we remember growing up when they had that dream team of all the Ajax players, the De Boers themselves. And then after that, later with Robin and Van Persie, it seems like they went through a bit of a transitional spell where it was only really Memphis who you can argue about him living up to his potential. He's, he's probably the best he's ever been playing at Lyon now, but the Dutch need to make that step up in a big tournament, don't they? Not sure if De Boer's the man to lead them to do it, but it was great to see them kind of <clears throat> a bit more like the, the Dutch side we associate with of the past, with that great passing. Yeah, two wins, two draws, one defeat from their five matches in Group A1. Um, about the Italians and Kish, uh, they're going along nicely and under Roberto Mancini these days. Uh, they had a 2-0 win over Poland. They are currently a point clear of the Netherlands at the top. They too are in a rebuilding mode. It's rebuilding all around Europe at the moment. Um, what do you make of them? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely rebuilding mode for Italy at the moment. Roberto Mancini uh, is doing a pretty decent job, but I remember us having the same conversation uh, a couple of months ago during the last international break about how 
you you compare the the kind of rebuilding that the Netherlands are going through, the kind of rebuilding that England are going through, and then you juxtapose it with the kind of rebuilding that that Italy are going through, and you see players at the age of thirty seven years old still being called up to the Italian national team, and I mean, it one way or another, that seems to be a bit of a problem for them because even if you look at the Serie A, a lot of the teams tend to still depend on on aging players, whereas your younger talents are not giving enough room and 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 space to be able to break through at the international level. And that's mm. that that sort of mentality shift is slowly taking place. Apparently, when I speak to friends in in Italy, but it you know it's taking place. Really slowly as well, uh, but but this Italian team. You, you look at the players that they have. You look at the young players that they have. I mean, Moise Keane looks like a complete different player at PSG at the moment. He looks like the talent that that broke through uh, with with Juventus a couple of seasons ago. The, the kind of talent that almost seemed like he was he was you know going, going to be able to take the Premier League by storm. Um, he, he's 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 starting to do well at PSG at the moment. So in, in the long term, there's a lot of talent available for Italy. Um, and in the Nations League, the kind of results that they're picking up at the moment bodes well for them as well. But they've got a pretty difficult game coming up, which is Bosnia. I know the Netherlands put three past Bosnia, but the last time Italy played Bosnia, I think it was at the at the previous international break, it was a nil-nil draw. And Bosnia completely made life difficult for them in that game and completely pointed out the glaring deficiencies that the Italians have going forward against a team that sits back in numbers and defends in a low block. So this is going to be really difficult for the Italians. Is is age is an aging backline and and basically aging players the problem for for the Italians? You reckon, Craig? Um, why, why why are we talking about problems for Italy? They've unbeaten in like twenty matches. Yeah, well, that, I was coming to that. Because, quality. Yeah. Well. So, yeah, I mean, no. We're, we're looking at it from the point of view of them rebuilding. You know. Oh, go go, Keish. You 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 are. No, 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 no. The only point that I'm making is I think they're great. They're doing well at the moment, definitely. As I pointed out, they, they've picked up wins as well. It's it's just a matter of if you're trying to rebuild a team, which is what Mancini is trying to do. And if, look, if you've looked at his squad picking patterns over the last, uh, uh, I think, few months or so, when you look at the, at the kind of players that he's picked for each of the squads, you can see that there's a, there's a trend of him trying to pick more and more young players. He's, he obviously couldn't walk into the national team job and completely shock the system by dismantling the old guards. He's got to do it slowly. But he's doing it. And I think that's the most important part of the mm. Italian rebuilding. Because there comes a point where you just can't pick up players that are 37 years old, that are 36 anymore. You've got to look at the, at the young blood, like, like, like your Dutch national teams are doing, like your, your, your English national teams are doing. And I think he's doing that. He's doing yeah. it slowly, but he's doing it. And that's the most important part of your, of your rebuilding. You've got to take a couple of losses by yeah. doing it, but you've got to do it. And I think uh, Italy doing that. You, you look at some of the talent that they've got coming through. I mean, um, but it's about getting them in at the right time and, and, and getting that balance right. Um, sorry about that. Um, getting that balance right. Um, whilst it's always good to have these young players coming through, giving them the experience, um, you know, you still can't discredit the, the amount of quality that these experienced guys play. I mean, Jorginho's still in that team. Massive fan of him. And at, in that position, you know, you need experience. Someone to educate the guys alongside him. Um, because of him, you know, someone like Sandro Tonali is not getting into the team. You know, fantastic prospect. Um, you know, really um, a lot's been said about him, especially after his transfer in the summer. But, you know, he can't get into the squad because you need someone like um, like Jorginho there, just dictating things, settling the game, especially when you're playing at these levels. Then. And you're, going, you're talking about going into major tournaments. You know, you never know how this is going to affect the young players. Yes, you know, there's an argument they play without fear, without pressure, this, that, the other. 
But when it goes against you, how do you handle that mentally? Um, and I think, you know, that's that's why I think teams, you know, you, you can argue, you know, Jordan Henderson doesn't deserve to be in the squad. Carl Walker's passed it. I think Roy Keane described, described him as a car crash, this, that, the other. But you can't, you can't replace experience, you know. And at certain times, you know, the, the, these kind of things, um, you, you can question, you know, there could be arguably better players out there, better prospects out there. But it's about getting that balance right. And I think in key positions, um, you, you sometimes need that. And I think um, with Mancini, you know, you talk about getting, you know, 37-year-olds in and, and 30-year-olds in. I mean, yes, I can see what we can see what he's trying to do. I mean, I look at that and I, I think a couple of weeks ago, measured El Shuari still in the squad. Hmm. I mean, this guy seems like he's been around for about 12 years now in, in, in the Italian national team, like back to his Roma days. Um, but but that that that's the kind of thing, you know, yes, he, he might not start every game. But just being in that squad, you know, you get these young players looking up to him. It can maybe pull them aside at certain times and say, hey, you know, like, you know, you know, should be doing this, should be doing that. Um, and, I, and I always think it's it's very harsh when, you know, when people say, yes, well, you know, they shouldn't be in the team. Sometimes it's more than just the performances out there. Um, I, I think Mancini's doing a fantastic job. Yeah. I think they're quite a few countries to watch coming into the major championships. And um, yeah, and, and Italy, um, I don't think they'll be up there competing. But they're onto something, you know. There is a long-term plan, and uh, and it's good to see that. Possibly slightly ahead in the rebuilding, uh, Lark. Uh, slightly ahead of England and and the Netherlands. The Italians are. Um, all right, we're going to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about France. A lot to discuss about the world champions. Stick with us. That's next. No happy return, but a reality check bordering on a rude awakening. Off the ball on BFM eighty-nine point nine. Well, the rules have been clarified and, and they've looked to, to balance things fair in a fairer fashion. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. It's the international break. It's also just after Deepavali. So I, I know Kishnan had a great time, so much so he's still up in Ipo. Are you ever coming back to KL Kish? <laughs> soon, Ross, soon. I'll be back. <laughs> Andy Whitelaw also joins us this Monday evening, as do Craig Marias. Uh, as usual, you can tweet at BFM Radio. You can also follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. We do have a YouTube channel up and running. It is TFIF on video. Do check it out. Right, let's talk about the world champions, France, then. Massive game in Group A3 in the Nations League. It was Portugal nil, France won. Uh, an unlikely winner in N'Golo Kante. Getting the goal there, Andy Whitelaw. But France, under the water carrier, in inverted commas, Didier Deschamps, um, have been going along very nicely. But you can argue that he's just got an <laughs> endless line of quality players awaiting. Yeah, well, you, when you're blessed with that much quality and Golo Kante scoring your winner, it's just it's <laughs> funny, isn't it? Because it's the last quality we associate with him. But oh, you've got to feel sorry for Roy Patricio. He made some belting saves and it was him who spilt it at the feet and it, it was pretty much a tap-in but Conte arriving late getting that timing interestingly for me as well Martial missed a couple of good chances one yeah. of them was it was a world-class save from Patricio but it was a lovely ball in and if you're the you're the man wearing I think he was wearing the number 10 shirt you gotta score those and I think even the commentator was asking oh Olivier Giroud and I think when you're a France striker that you're always contending with who else is knocking on the door, whether it was that Benzema-Giroud rivalry. 
everyone can talk all day about Giroud not being, I don't know, incomparable with other top, top end strikers. But we know Deschamps likes him and we know he does a job there. Martial's got to be taking those chances in the big games. And then the other thing for Portugal really was uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, as good as he is, how long, and as good as they are, how long are they going to have to keep relying on him to produce that magic? I think he had one decent shot from distance, you know, created some chances, but you can just see how much they still put that weight of expectation on his shoulders. And at 34, that time of relying on him is now getting smaller and smaller. And you just, you just feel for Portugal in those big games, if they're always looking to Ronaldo to do the business. Mm. They haven't got much longer of that happening. Whereas with France, I mean, you're looking at, um, we, we talked about Martial. Martial, uh, Coleman, Rabio, these are, are not even tried and tested international players yet, Craig. Yeah. Um, I, I know you're an Englishman. Uh, it must pain you to talk about how good France are, but they really are that good. They are. And like you said, the depth there is absolutely ridiculous, uh, which, which, you know, when we talk about depth, you know, it, it amazes me that they're still relying on Olivier Giroud, who, you know, struggles to get yeah. to Chelsea's bench. Uh, it's, it, it's crazy how, how, he's in the, how he's in the French squad, um, regardless of the job that he does, but he doesn't play for his club. So um, just, just don't understand that one. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it, it's, it, it's not only the senior team, it, it's the ones coming through as well. The mm. under-21s have got some absolute quality there as well. Um, you, you know, we, we, we know how well France have done in the last, you know, four or five years. Um, they've been building up to that World Cup moment. Um, they, they won it, they were unlucky in the, the previous Euros uh, where, where they lost. But, you know, I, I, you know, I wouldn't say that, you know, going into next year's competition... You know, it's a foregone conclusion that, that France will be winners. I think they've got a very good squad, but are they are they of the ability? I think Keish touched on it in, in the first segment. You know, when he said, you know, France as good as they are, you know, they're not dominant. They're not absolutely fantastic. I think going into the World Cup two years back, you know, they, they went in as favourites. They won it. Um, I think everyone was probably you know at their peak and and this that. But you know, you go into you know going into the Euros next year. Um, is it the same kind of a French squad? I don't think so. You know, I don't think they're, they're as fluid. Um, I, I, I don't think they're as dominant. They're going to be that dominant. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's up for grabs, really, the Euros next year. I don't think there's one team that has stood up for me in qualification in the, um, in the Nations League that you can say, all right, look, you know, we're going to watch out. You know, they, they, they're going into this as favourites and, you know, it's going to take an upset to beat them. I, I, I just can't see it. I think it's the beauty of the Euros next year is that it's going to be very open. And um, yes, France, you know, they'll be spearheading it. They, they, they'd want to add that to their World Cup title. Um, but, you know, I, I just think, you know, it's going to be, we're in for a really, really good tournament next year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, France are into the Nations League finals. Portugal, uh, the holders are not out. Maybe the Euro winners are going to come from Group A4. It could be either Spain or Germany lumped into the same group. Let's talk about Spain first. Uh, it was a 1-1 draw uh, uh, in Switzerland, Quiche. And I, I've never, ever seen Sergio Ramos miss two penalties. Credit to Jan Sommer here, yeah, who obviously yeah. did his homework. He, he, he did some studying. He also, he was very confident. But yeah, I mean, despite the two penalty misses, Spain managed to come away with a point, with a draw. So it's all alive in that group. 
But how good are the Spanish sidekicks? Um, it's it, you see when when we talk about Spain, even now, Ross, even now, when we talk about Spain, there's always this this need or this you know this urge to compare them to the to the Spanish side of the 2010, 2012. You know the team that mesmerized us. There's still a very strong association between Spain and that brand, that very specific brand of football. Uh, but I think there's a need to look at the Spanish side in a very different way. I think Luis Enrique has done a pretty good job with, with Spain. Um, I, I think what he's doing with, with experimenting with systems, giving younger players an opportunity to, to test themselves on, on the international stage, I think he's been doing a really good job. Specifically in the context of this game, I, I've, to me on a personal level, Switzerland are any team's boogie team out there. It's one of the most difficult sides. They somehow make it into the World Cup, into the Euros every year. And when you play them, you know it's never an easy game. And, and, and it was a reflection of that this time around as well. Um, it, it was really closely contested. Uh, it was really tight on multiple portions of the game. Um, and Sergio Ramos, like you pointed out, Ross, I mean, how how often... <laughs> I mean, miss, missing a penalty is one thing. But how often do you see him missing it twice in mm. a single game? Um, and, and yet, having missed twice... The next time Spain get a penalty, I can bet you he'll still step up. Yeah. He's just that kind of a guy. He doesn't shy away from the responsibility. Well, it's a- Luis Enrique actually said, it, had that been a third penalty, he would have taken it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, a really good, he's a really exceptional leader at the back. Um, he's 171 caps for Spain. It's, it's no joke, Ross. It's, yeah. it's an absolute no joke. Um, it's... it's Sorry, it's a European record, right? For most most appearances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and and I just, I think everyone is looking forward to the game against Germany now. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's games like this that will really test your your ability as a manager and the squad depth and and uh, the quality that's present within the squad. And I look at Germany and I look at Spain, and and I and I think that they're kind of going through the same phase of of sort of trying to build it that next team. Um, to, to compete on an international front cut. That's what Germany is trying to do with the wealth of talent that they have. Yeah. But, you know, Joachim Lowe is still experimenting in games. He's still, you know, chopping and changing plays, trying to find the right system. And I think that's what Luis Enrique is trying to do as well. Yeah. Um, just, just finish up on, on Spain then, Andy Whitelaw. Um, they don't have the Iniestas and all that in central midfield anymore. Um, Marata is still playing his trade up front. Um, uh, but... They're not to be laughed at, Spain. They they are serious contenders, whether they're rebuilding or or whatever stage they're in. Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at that squad, twelve of them are under twenty five, and that for me yep. is is exciting. And if you look at the players that even can't get into that team, that shows me that this is a team for the for the future or a team starting to potentially reach their peak. But if you talk about the forwards, you have to look at Morata, who. To be fair to him, any time he's not had a Chelsea shirt on has actually looked very good. (laughs) (laughs) But it's exactly the same as Italy in some ways. Mm. Because when was the last time Italy had a world-class centre forward? I think we were talking off air. It's probably Christian Vieri. I mean, not to mention the number 10's Totti Del Piero. They don't really produce top, top centre forwards. Fernando Torres in his prime, maybe. David Villa in his prime. But since then, who's been the guy? The guy who's going to go and make a nil-nil or one-nil? Is it Morata at the very top level where the margins are so fine, where you've got to go and beat Germany, you've got to go and beat France? I think if you're going to pick on something, because, yeah, we don't have the Chavis anymore, but we do have Asensio. You know, we do have yeah. absolute quality in terms of creators, you know. And you look at players like Koki, Rod, Rodri, 
and you've still got Busquets in there who's 32. I mean, there's still quality oozing from that midfield. But when it comes to the center forward, when it comes to that absolute ice-cold killer, not sure if Murat is the man. It's, no. it's a problem that even Germany faced, Ross. I mean, mm. up to the point when they had Timo Werner coming in consistently. If you remember, they've always been struggling to replace Miroslav Closer for years. They've, yeah. you know, they yeah. tried and tested it with Thomas Muller playing in the number nine role. Didn't quite work. Mario Gomez didn't look like he could, you know, shoulder the entire nation on his uh, uh, on his own up front as well. So they, they, they've had that same issue here and there. Only now we're starting to see semblances of Timo Werner. Very different player. Yeah, Not yeah. your classic number nine, yeah. but we're starting to see ability from Werner in terms of being able to lead the line up front for for Jim. But what I what I will say about that. Hang, hang well, on, hang on. Um, Je- be- before yeah. you get into that, be- before we're going for a final break. When we come back, we will discuss the Germans. Stick with us. Still the mentality in that dressing room that's powerful, strong, made them feel like they're unbeatable. What a coach. Off the ball on BFM eighty nine point nine. Immediate thrust, recognisable certainty, and a nasty dig in the ribs. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back, back with Andy, Craig and Keish. Looking back at the Nations League, we're up to the Germans now. Germany and, and Spain are in Group A4. It was uh, Switzerland 1, Spain 1. We, we spoke about Spain. Germany beat the Ukraine 3-1. Timo Werner with a brace. They had to come from behind. And we did mention before the break, Craig, that it is a German side uh, in a rebuilding stage as well. Uh, and um, but they're winning. They it's Diamantschaft. It's you yeah. know Osprung durch Technik, as they say in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly that, Ross. Um, no, no, sorry. The, the point I wanted to make just before we went for that break, actually, uh, was the fact that you know we're talking about out and out forwards and, and strikers, and yeah. you know, obviously Argentina, Timo Werner. Um, but you know you have someone like Morata on the bench, and you still don't play him. You still play an attacking midfielder as your central, uh, as your striker, or, or a winger as your striker. And, and I think that that's something in common. You know, you talk about out-and-out strikers. It's not so easy to find these days, which is why, you know, as we spoke about earlier, is, is why Giroud is still in the front, uh, French setup when he, doesn't get, when he doesn't get a game for Chelsea. You know, out-and-out strikers, you know, they're, they're, they're becoming rarer and rarer to find. You're getting a lot of wingers that are converting or attacking midfielders to get put up there. Um, uh, and, and you go to Timo Werner as well. You know, where have we seen his best performances for Chelsea? It's been off the left. Mm. It's been off the left-hand side. When he's had to lead the line, he's not been that same type of player. Um, so so it's, a, it's a really interesting thing, which, I, you know, moving forward, um, you know, and, and how football is. You know, we, we've gone from the days of, of great centre-forwards, you, know, during, during, you know, during our time, you know, even before we were around. Um, but are we slowly seeing centre-forwards kind of like dry up a bit? And are we seeing, you know, uh, players who have a little bit more to their game? You know, where, where you talk about uh, coming off the front line, which Werner does really well, um, drifting into those wide areas, creating problems and seeing a bit of rotation between your attacking players where your right winger comes into the central and, you know, opposite flanks moving around. Uh, and I think that that is the way that it's slowly progressing towards. Mm. Um, the German team... Um, I think have that in abundance. You know, when when you talk about when you add people like Kai Havertz, who obviously wasn't involved um, during during this uh, international break, but when you have players like that, you know, you got Leroy Sana, who 
who for me, you know, can play on the left, right, through the middle, fantastic talent, um, as we saw from the goal. But um, I think that's what we're moving towards. And, and the Germans are, um, you know, obviously with with, um, with with them getting rid of, of players like Thomas Muller, who who I think it can still do a job at this level. But you talk about rebuilding and all that. This is what the Germans are, are trying to achieve now. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're going to see an out-and-out striker. You know, you know, we got Serge Gnabry there. You got Kai Havertz, Werner. There'll be a lot of rotation amount amongst them. Um, it is Werner the man. I, I, I don't know. I'm still, I still got question marks about him. But the thing about the Germans going into into you know the Euros, they they will always be they'll always be there and thereabouts. You know, you just can't rule them out. No matter how bad you know they, they might just scrape through qualifying and get in there or whatever. But the Germans, you know, you've got to, to recognise the threat that they always pose. Um, and I don't think that will ever go. It's the mentality that they have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as it stands at the moment, based on form, would you say Germany and France, Andy, top two? All right, probably throw Belgium in there as well. Yeah, Belgium. Belgium. Just because that's starting 11, but I really do feel like if, if you're not a little bit wary of Germany, you're not paying attention. If you look at their results, maybe people say they haven't won enough games, but they've drawn a few. They're not losing games. And this is it. I talked about how many young players Spain have. How many under 25s do Germany have? In yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do, do, you, do, you think, do you think Germany is similar to England in that they've got they've got pace in abundance in, in certain areas? They, they can literally just yeah. blitz sides. Yeah. Yeah, I just think the, the talent is, is deeper, arguably coming through in Germany than any of the other sides. It, it, I love the consistency that Yogi Love's still in his job after 14 years. Yeah. How rare is that? In <laughs> no, he's got the trust now. And one of these goals uh, that Werner scored, Robin Koch, one of the best names in the game. What a pass. World class. Reverse yeah. chip into yeah. Goretzka, who squares it for uh, Werner to have an yeah. easy finish. But uh, I think Goretzka. In this team has been fantastic, mm, absolutely yeah. fantastic, and the way he started this season for Bayern Munich. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I I've watched Bayern Munich a few times, but the last I think you know six months, you know, I've really looked at Gretzka, and he and he's come on leaps and yeah. bounds. I mean, he, he, he he's literally he was amazing. Yeah, but he's turning into a world world class player. I never thought he he was a world class midfielder, but yeah. um, you know the performances that he's doing, um, Champions League level even. Um, you know, you, you can discredit the Bundesliga all you want, but you no, know, he's doing it at Champions League level. He's doing it at international level. He's just such a good player to watch, and I think he's he's absolutely integral uh, for for Germany going forward. Yeah, but this is exactly what we mean about about the German national team, um, Ross. I mean, we spoke about the the kind of rebuilding that the Italians were doing. The Germans, ever since two thousand, have been exceptionally ruthless when it comes to chopping and changing the old guards within their team. They are absolutely ruthless when it comes to that. We talk, we, we heard about Das Reboot, what happened after Euro 2000. And ever since then, they've always paved open the way for young players to come into the systems. When there's someone who they deem is not good enough to, or old, too old to play in the national team, they chop and change him. They're absolutely ruthless with that. And that's why you see year in, year out, you just see this constant wealth of talents breaking through, not just at club level in the Bundesliga, but also at national team level because the opportunity is constantly given to them. And, and that's why you, you, they, they're consistently reaping the rewards of it. Like Andy pointed out, the amount of under-25 players in this squad... And not just in this squad, the ones that were called up at the window last month. I mean, you, you look at these names, you're thinking to yourself, wow, Germany have really got it. Uh, you know, the, the wealth of talent is there for them going forward. 
Let me ask this question. Um, of, of all the European nations at the moment, playing their trade, playing football, who has the best manager? Oh, oh wow. That's a, that's a tough one, Ross. You know? <laughs> um, For me, it's, it's you, you love, hands down. I yeah, think. I mean, he, yeah. because of his CV, but then you've got to look at Deschamps. Yeah, I'll put Deschamps second. Deschamps will yeah. be my second. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it has to be between those two just yeah. because of what they've won with their countries. You know, you can't, you can't ignore that, you know, regardless of what kind of state they are in and whether they're rebuilding or not. You can't, disc you can't discredit them. So um, it'd have to be between those two for me. All right. A quick word about League B then in the Nations League. We saw the mighty Scots make it to the Euros in their playoffs. Unfortunately, they, they fell short in Slovakia. Uh, both teams played each other. It was a 1-0 win for Slovakia. Both played 120 minutes in midweek. Scotland have another chance. They're away um, in Israel. I, I believe they only need a point or, or, or maybe a win. They, because they've got a better head-to-head -head than the Czech Republic. Um, Wales and the Republic of Ireland drew... Uh, sorry, Wales beat the Republic of Ireland 1-0. Oh, yeah. um, it works with gigs not at the chair. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they came off the back of a board draw, let's be honest, <laughs> yeah. with the USA. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not a lot to say, really. I think Ireland, over the last two games, have been absolutely poor. They, they, they really have. And um, it's a far cry from the Irish teams that we've seen previously, um, you know, in, in the World Cups and at, and at big stages. Um, so so I, think, I think, you know, for, for Wales to, to go out, and not discrediting Wales at all, but... You know, I expected more from Ireland uh, over this, especially the English, uh, the England match. You know, they, they they just gave up before they even started, to be honest with you, and allowed England all the possession in the world. Um, so I think they've got a big job to do. You know, we've talked previously about Scotland, you know, not really hitting the heights and not having the team. Um, we talked about Wales, but you know, we never we always thought Irish the Irish were like the second best in that mm. in, in there in Great Britain, but. Yeah, it, it, this is this is proving to be um, uh, quite a time for the Irish. I think they they really need to get some uh, new players on board. I think. Yeah, that that's a great point. Uh, let's wrap up with that, a Andy. Because if you look at it, Michael Keane, Jack Grealish, Declan Rice all played for the Republic at younger age groups. I mean, had they had they held on to them, they'd be some team, right? Yeah, how annoying would that be? Uh, they used to hold on to the Tony Cascarinos and the Andy Towns then, but it's probably because they weren't good enough to get into England, were they? England squad, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but how, how annoyed would you be if you're like a 10-year-old kid and football is your absolute life and you see these players with an England shirt on? Actually, never mind. If you're a 40-year-old man, you'd be equally annoyed. <laughs> you'd be bitter. Oh, I think uh, when we're talking about those teams in the British Isles, Wales, you've got to respect them on 13 points. In that group, Finland... Yeah. Ireland, Bulgaria, the mighty Bulgaria. Dude, <laughs> that's an unbelievable achievement. And you have to credit Gareth Bale. Those level of sides need their big players to step up. In the last 13 games, Gareth Bale's been involved in 13 goals at home. And he yeah. steps up for them every time. It was his header that Brooks scored from. Another impressive young player for Wales. But the supporting cast for Wales around Bale has really impressed me. I think they've stepped up massively as well, you know. You've got Aaron Ramsey, of course, who is, is almost on Bale's level as well, which helps. Mm. But Republic of Ireland, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know what to say in terms of encouragement at the moment because yeah. it's been dire. It's been dire. <laughs>
All right. Uh, in midweek, you've got Wales versus Finland, Ireland against Bulgaria. That's that should wrap up Group B four. In B two, it's Israel against Scotland, Czech Republic against Slovakia, and in your League A's, then Spain play Germany in A four. Massive game. France versus Sweden in A three. Uh, Poland versus the Netherlands in A one. England against Iceland, Belgium, Denmark. That's your midweek action. We'll talk briefly about that. On Friday, uh, next Friday. For now, though, let me say thanks to the guys. Thank you, Kishnan, all the way from Ipoh. Yes, Ross. Thanks to Craig Marias. Thank you very much, mate. And thanks, Andy Whitelaw. Nice one, boys. Have a good one. Yeah, have a great week, everybody. Stay safe. Stay home. Bye bye. Off the ball every Monday on BFM eighty nine point nine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station.